You're listening to the Food Freedom Body Love Podcast, Episode 16. Welcome to the Food Freedom Body Love Method, a podcast designed to change our current beliefs about food, weight, health, and beauty, repair our relationship with our physical selves, and provide inspiration for living beautifully in the skin we're in. Once upon a time, a long time ago, (laughs) a year ago, uh, when I was still, when I still had my general naturopathic practice, in addition to this much more focused practice on body image and disordered eating, I saw a lot of patients looking for nutritional advice. I was doing a lot of nutritional counseling. And one of the things that I heard over and over and over again was this feeling of confusion around food. People feeling frustrated and angry and upset and voicing things like, I just have no idea what the F to eat. You know, I read this, I read that. Um, And I heard a lot of that mixed in with more certain messages from people, but it's so interesting because when you're doing nutritional counseling and you're sitting in an office and people are coming and going throughout the day, it's so interesting to see someone walk in and voice their certainty that, you know, eating 80% fruit was exactly the right way to eat and this disbelief that other people couldn't do it or weren't doing it. And then the next person is, you know, eating paleo is 100% the way to do it. And why isn't everybody just doing this? This is the way. And then the next person comes in and they're a militant vegetarian or vegan and they're 100% sure. And then the next person is keto and they're 100% sure. And nutrition has just become this really polarizing topic. I mean, feeding ourselves is one of our, you know, most basic skills and tools that we need to have. And yet it's become increasingly complex, contradictory, and challenging to understand. And so today that's what I'm going to talk about. Why can't the experts agree? Maya stood in line at Starbucks waiting to place her order. As often happened, she planned to get up early to finish some work and hadn't had time for breakfast. She really wanted yogurt, a banana, and a scone with coffee, but she remembered a magazine article she had read about the hidden calories in foods that most people assume are healthy, like scones and yogurt, Maya thought to herself. Better go with the banana and coffee. Even better, just coffee. Standing there, she wondered whether it was possible for her to go the whole morning on just a cup of coffee. She had several important meetings scheduled. Would she be able to concentrate? The challenge was inviting and the purity of it was enticing. Finally, it was her turn to order. You know what? I think I'll be really good today, Maya told the stranger across the counter. Just give me a large coffee. Leave room for skim milk, she rushed to add as she dug into her purse. That's all. Thanks. That is a little story from Michelle Wicca's book, The Religion of Thinness. It's such a good book. What I love about that little excerpt is that it totally describes this decision-making process that so many of us go through, whether we're in line at a cafe, a coffee shop, Starbucks, um, at restaurants these days where all of the calories and everything is put in the menu. Um, We're constantly in this battle of this is what I really feel like, this is what I want to eat, and then memories or or tidbits of information that we absorbed and gathered over the years floating into our brain and confusing the situation. Like, this is what I want to eat, but remember that time I read this thing in YM magazine when I was 16, or the thing I learned about in school, or the thing I heard my mom talking about, or somebody talking about on the subway. You know, we absorb rules about food everywhere we go, and information about food and a need to know more and more about food has accelerated. It's become 
almost an obsession in the culture that we live in to know more and more about food. Um, And yet what we see is instead of people having all of this information and being empowered by it, what we see are these these scenarios or situations like the girl in line at Starbucks playing out where we stand there and we end up, instead of empowered, we end up in analysis paralysis when it comes to food or buying groceries or ordering at a restaurant. It's this constant back and forth of what we want to do and what we should do and what these random bits of often conflicting information are telling us what to do. And so, you know, the question is like, why can't the experts just get it right? Like, why can't they all just agree on what the right way to eat is? And that's what we're exploring today. Why do we keep getting information that is contradictory and confusing? We're getting it in the media every single day. Why can't the experts just get on board? Um, and this also, this is also true, I will say. I think that this translates into the beliefs around fat and health because it wasn't that long ago. I can't remember if it was a few months ago where there were studies coming out in the same week about the importance of fat on our bodies and how fat could be really protective. And then the same week, there's studies coming out about the detrimental effects of health. And um, and so why can't the experts agree on that? Like, it, it just feels like we're inundated with information where the the experts that we're looking to for comfort and reassurance and certainty are presenting us with more and more uncertainty. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about today. Why is that? I'm going to set health aside for now and just talk about food because um, it's just all so um, big. It's so big. And I, and I feel like it just bears repeating that when I do these podcasts, I'm totally aware of the fact that I'm not ever covering the whole issue 100%. Like so many of these issues actually play into one another. And if you really want a big picture of food and weight and health, it's like you just have to keep tuning in and weaving it together into this really intricate, intricate tapestry. But I am I'm I always try to hit on the big things. And so yeah, I'm aware that um, there are sides of the story or angles that I may not be covering, but I'm just going to do my best to break it down in a way that's digestible and understandable. So the way I see it, there are essentially four major things, four major belief systems that we currently have when it comes to food that fuels the confusion that we have around food. The first is that the belief that the more we know about food, the better we'll eat. And as an extension of that, I think also within that is the belief that the more we know about food, that we'll eventually figure out the one right way to eat, that there's one right way to eat for health. If we want to live long, healthy lives, um, that the more we know about food, the better off we'll be. That's the first thing that I think fuels the confusion and the contradictions. The second thing is that there's good food and bad food, like a very clear belief system in our culture right now. And that can look a lot of different ways, clean eating, um, eating, you know, food as fuel. There's just this very strong belief system that there are foods that are quote unquote good for us and there are few foods that are quote unquote bad for us and that it's very absolute and um, all or nothing. And then the third thing is the morality that we currently apply to food or try to derive from food. This need for virtue and the fact that we see as our faith our indoctrination into organized religion wanes that as a society we're continually looking for ways to feel virtuous and faithful and and good and pure um and so what what we're seeing is that it's being applied to food and also to the religion of you know what Michelle Lilwicka refers to as the religion of thinness. And so thinness and food have become these moral barometers. And so not it's not just that like, 
food is good or bad. It's that we are good or bad, depending on what we eat and how we eat and how well we control the foods that we eat. So I believe that those are the three major things. Again, being aware of the fact that there's a little bit more to the whole food confusion thing than that. But but simply put, if those are the three sort of super confusing things, then the solution is basically we don't need so much information about food, that the basics are all we need, the basics that have been true for decades is really all we need, that and and our own bodily feedback to eat well, that there aren't good and bad foods, that there are just foods that react differently in our bodies and have different consequences, that there's no one right way to eat, that we're all individual and that this is an individual journey to find a balance of foods that feed us on a mental, emotional, and physical level, and that foods can't can't make you good. Food can't make you a good person. If you want to be a good person, you're going to need to go straight for that and not use food to try to get there. Like food just can't grant you virtue or worth. Worth, again, that big word that is always at the heart of all of this. So let's dive into, I want to just dive into each of these three um, factors that I think confuse and then and then try to tie it up with a little bit of a little bit of I always hate to give step by steps because again in the same way that I think that we're always looking for step by steps when it comes to weight and food and it never really pans out it just always leads to more confusion um what I really think that this is is a a personal intuitive inner journey to figuring out who we are authentically and what works for us and then being cool with it. Like being okay with the fact that my favorite meal at the moment is a salad and fries and I love it and it's the best. And then being comfortable with that and not being made to feel bad about it or feel less healthy about it or whatever. That's what I think it is. But I do also think that when we're trying to grasp this and understand it and and walk away, that it is helpful sometimes to have something um, step-by-step-ish that we can take away. So I just want to explore each of these 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 confusing factors. Um, the more we know about food, the better we'll eat. And the belief that there's one right way to eat for health that there's good food and bad food, and that um, we can gain morality or virtue through food. I want to explore each of these three things and then again, leave you with hopefully at the end of each of those explorations, um, a little something that you can take away to try to loosen the tight fist of control that you have on food or the rigidity that you may be feeling around what healthy eating looks like or good food looks like so that you can embark on that inner journey to figuring out what's right for you. Okay, so the first belief that confuses and muddles the food nutrition situation, and that is the more we know, the better we'll eat. The more we know about food, the better we'll eat. Um, And this is a belief system that has taken us from a population that, that looks at food and how we eat it um, and then reduced it into more and more minute bits and pieces until we're all the way down looking at the nutrients, individual nutrients in foods and how those nutrients affect us, effectively um, completely taken out of context and how we eat as human beings. So looking at the iron in a food or the B12 or the phytonutrients, the antioxidants, the fats, the carbohydrates, there's an unending number of macro and micronutrients that we could pull apart and isolate in foods. And we believe that the more we know about macronutrients and micronutrients and the profiles of the foods that we eat, the better we will eat. And the second part of this, of course, being that the more we know, eventually we'll be able to figure out that one right way to eat for health. So what's the problem here? Well... There's this little term called nutritionism, and it's a term that was coined by Georgie Scrinis, who is an Australian sociologist, 
Um, and it was popularized by Michael Pollan. And I'm going to read to you from a piece that Michael Pollan wrote for New York Times Magazine called Unhappy Meals on Nutritionism. And essentially what he's describing is, is Georgie Scrinis's ideology or belief that the more that we focus on a really reductive view of food, like the bits and pieces, the building blocks, the more confusing it actually is to eat. Um, the more people feel confused, the more anxious they feel about eating. And what Michael Pollan is doing here is explaining why. So this part of the piece was called The Rise of Nutritionism. The first thing to understand about nutritionism, I first encountered the term in the work of an Australian sociologist of science named Georgie Scrinis, is that it is not quite the same as nutrition. As the ism suggests, it's not a scientific subject, but an ideology. Ideologies are ways of organizing large swaths of life and experience under a set of shared but unexamined assumptions. This quality makes an ideology particularly hard to see, at least while it's exerting its hold on your culture. A reigning ideology is a little like the weather, all pervasive and virtually inescapable. Still, we can try. In the case of nutritionism, the widely shared but unexamined assumption is that the key to understanding food is indeed the nutrient. From this basic premise flow several others. Since nutrients as compared with foods are invisible and therefore slightly mysterious, it falls to the scientists, the experts I've been talking about, and to the journalists through whom the scientists speak to explain the hidden reality of foods to us. To enter a world in which you dine on unseen nutrients, you need a lot of expert help. But expert help to do what exactly? This brings us to another unexamined assumption, that the whole point of eating is to maintain and promote bodily health. Hippocrates' famous injunction to let food be thy medicine is ritually invoked to support this notion. I'll leave the premise alone for now, except to point out that it is not shared by all cultures, and that the experience of these other cultures suggests that, paradoxically, Viewing food as being about things other than bodily health, like pleasure, say, or socializing, makes people no less healthy. Indeed, there's some reason to believe that it may make them more healthy. This is what we usually have in mind when we speak of the quote-unquote French paradox. The fact that a population that eats all sorts of unhealthful, un unhealthful nutrients is in many ways healthier than we Americans are. And so in English, you know, what he's saying is that we're a culture that is deeply bought into the belief that in order to be able to eat well, we need to understand the nutrients in our food. We need to be able to pull it apart, understand the nutrients, and then eat the right nutrients. And if we do that, then we'll be healthy. And that the other assumption that we buy into in this culture is that that is the whole purpose of food is to make us healthy. And again, I've talked about it before on the podcast. I'll talk about it again. My least favorite quote that everything we put in our mouth is either like healing us or killing us. I don't exactly know what the quote is. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. You know, every single morsel of food you put in your mouth is either healing you or harming you. And we buy into this belief, despite the fact that we can see that we aren't actually getting healthier, that we are increasingly confused and muddled and anxious around food and that there are other cultures around the, the world where they've adopted a completely different view of the purpose of food and the way to eat well and that they actually are living potentially longer, healthier, healthier lives than we are in North America. And yet we hold on to this with a tight, tight grip you know, an iron fist, we hang on to this belief that if we don't know how many calories are in the food, we can't eat well. If we don't know the nutrient profile of the food, we can't eat well. If there is a quote unquote unhealthy nutrient in the food, then that food can't be good for us, that it can't serve a positive, appropriate 
purpose. The major problem with nutritionism, in the words of Marion Nestle from the New York University, um, from New York University, who's a nutritionist, is that it takes the nutrient out of the context of food, the food out of the context of diet, and the diet out of the context of lifestyle. That there are many factors involved in eating well. There's the foods we eat, and then there's the eater, the human eater, living a human lived experience. And there's just this complex interaction where when you reduce something to a single nutrient and you study it, as nutritional scientists have to do, that's the limitation of the work that they do. They need to account for the variables. They need to isolate they need to be sure of what they're looking at and studying. And that in and of itself, that destroys the truth of the complex foods we eat and how we eat them. And so again, what we end up with is a whole lot of information about minutia. We end up with a whole lot of information that, you know, when we pull the nutrients out of food, when we break it down to such a reductive level, we do find evidence that contradicts itself. We find that a nutrient acts one way in one scenario and another in a different scenario. And then it gets translated into media that is confusing. We have media reports of saturated fat acting one way one day and acting a different way another day. And that is because the saturated fat has been studied in such a way that it does not apply to how we as humans eat. And the same can be true of antioxidants, right? We'll hear of antioxidants being cancer-saving on some days and cancer-causing on other days. So nutritionism, to me, this ideology where we believe that the key to understanding food is the nutrient and then we isolate nutrients from foods has deeply fed our confusion around food. And it's the reason, one of the major reasons that the experts can't agree because the belief system that it's built upon is just flawed. The ideology is flawed. We see that there are cultures who don't buy into this yet, yet, thankfully, and they are living long, healthy lives using the truths of nutrition, the more overarching general truths of food that we have known for decades before the ideology of nutrition ever set in. Eating a balance of foods, eating a moderate amount of animal protein, eating vegetables, and I'm not suggesting that you have to eat animal protein. I'm just saying that, you know, eating moderate amounts has been shown to be okay for us. If you want to cut them out, that's fine too. If you want to cut out animal products or animal animal foods, then, you know, the other basics remain true. Eat mostly unprocessed foods. Eat for pleasure. Incorporate delicious, yummy play foods just for the joy of it. And so if this factor contributing to the confusion between the experts and the confusion between the eaters trying to understand the experts, if this confusing factor, that is we need to have all of the deeply complex nutrient profiles, micronutrients, macronutrients, breakdowns, if that is what is confusing us and potentially actually encouraging unhelpful behaviors in us, then for me, the step, the solution, the step-by-step for this is simply taking a step back and remembering the very basic truths about eating, which is moderation. And again, not in a dictated, like this is what moderation looks like, but moderation as dictated by your body, that there are, you know, eating fairly we can eat fairly well by these standards, 
by the very rigid standards that nutritionism sets for us and still live long, healthy lives, that, that there's a bigger understanding here that people don't eat nutrients. We eat food. And food can and does behave very differently than the nutrients that those foods contain. The other day, a friend of mine with a very popular healthy food Instagram account posted about a few different diets and sort of what they are explaining them. And then the last thing she put was mindful eating um, as a food plan. And it was interesting. It's great because I think that she really is actually a very mindful eater. Um, And she really was clear on the fact that she doesn't buy into restriction and all of that. But it was interesting to see some of the comments. And one of them was something along the lines of, you know, and again, this is a, a very like clean eating Instagram site. And so a lot of the people that are following this are very much bought into good food, bad food, clean food, dirty food, um, moralization of food, um, and what it takes to be healthy. Like they're very bought into that just by means of following an account that promotes clean eating. And so one of the things was, you know, I'm not sure about this whole mindful eating thing. Like what if you have a chronic illness or what if you want to eat for health? And again, to me, the whole chronic illness thing I could talk about separately, but mindful eating or intuitive eating doesn't eliminate or doesn't ignore the fact that you have, if you have a chronic illness, that you may need to to change the way that you eat. Um... And again, that's another really big topic, but the only chronic illnesses that I can currently think of off the top of my head that have been shown to have really solid research with really great outcomes that require a ton of deep, deep nutrient profile information, you know, might be like a kidney disease where the nutrient profiles have to be deeply regulated because a kidney that normally would do that work for you doesn't do it. Um, And then there's also been some really great results with like children and seizures and ketogenic diets where we're being very aware of the macronutrient profiles can be very, very, very effective. But other than that, um, having a much more flexible Um, ideology around food tends to be the thing that leads to long healthy lives. We see this in Dan Buettner's work on the blue zones around the planet where people are living over 100 healthy and he's always really clear that you know living to be over 100 and super healthy is a bit of a genetic lottery win you know but he's also he does the research because he says that that there's definitely sort of 10 to 15 years at the end of our lives that that we sometimes waste by not living very well and showing how lifestyle can affect how the last 10 to 15 years of our life 70s 80s could be lived in a more healthful way. But what's so interesting about the outcome of his research is that, yeah, you know, people in those areas that are living long, healthy lives are eating unprocessed food and they are eating vegetables and they are eating moderate amounts of animal product. But for me, what always stands out is the fact that it's varied. Like some of them are eating dairy products and some are drinking wine every day and some are eating bread. They eat gluten, you guys, and they're living long, healthy lives. And to me, what this speaks to are the many other factors that play into how we digest metabolize and assimilate the nutrients that are in food. And the way that this has played out for me in sort of real time in real life is that I've just basically decided that from now until, you know, I die, I will no longer buy into the dogma of eating plans anymore. And I get that that might not be right for everyone. One of the firm foundations of what I believe is that this is a, an internal inner journey. I'm just using my own personal experience as an example. But I think that that part of this nutritionist food is good or bad morality of food society is that we align ourselves with ways of eating as a way to to sort of prove ourselves or or label ourselves or be categorized and I feel like it it backs us into a corner where we are stuck 
rigidly following rules instead of listening to our body. And so while there are times of the year where I eat basically vegetarian, I'll never call myself a vegetarian. Same with eating more vegan. Same with times of the year or week or day where I feel the need to eat more paleo. So I feel the need to eat more protein and less grain. Um, All of those things come and go in my diet and I'm flexible enough to listen to my body and to allow it and to allow the human experience of eating, which involves being social and going to other people's houses and traveling to, to, to exist. You know, when I'm not, when I haven't lined myself up as like, I am blank, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, um, fruititarian, whatever the label might be, I find for myself not having a label and and not being specifically concerned with any macro or micronutrients and really examining food on a more holistic level, um, it, it pulls me away from this. It means that when... Um, the media reports on these things, I just take it with a grain of salt. It's a little bit of information. And then I can see how that plays into my eating that day. And I can take that information and there will be days where it really applies. And then there will be days where it just really doesn't apply to me personally. And again, what this does, I think, when we aren't invested in nutritional profiles and we aren't invested in nutritional plans that have been developed or defined by these, by the research into nutrients, then it puts us right back on that path to an individual journey and an inner knowing. The second factor that plays into our confusion is this very deep belief that there are good foods and bad foods. And this really overlaps with the, um, the belief that the more we know about food, the better we'll eat because so many of our definitions of good food and bad food come from the research into the nutrients. Um, And the answer is kind of the same, that there aren't good foods or bad foods, that we always have to put the food in context, right? You can decide that sugar is the worst thing on the planet, but I'm telling you that if you're stranded on a desert island and I don't know, they're dropping off pixie sticks once a day somehow, pixie sticks are dropping from the sky on your desert island and there's nothing else for you to eat, you're going to stay alive on pixie sticks. You might end up with scurvy, but you're going to be alive. And in that context, there could be nothing better for you than sugar, right? Um, are you a diabetic with low blood sugar? Sugar's going to save you. Our brains use glucose from whatever source it can get it from to stay alive and to function. And so it's very easy to say sugar's bad, but there are a lot of situations where sugar might actually be good, life-saving even. And I'm not saying this because I have a super vested interest in sugar. It's just that we're so quick to vilify and define and label and categorize when the fact of the matter is that context is always important. That foods aren't bad or good Foods have slightly different nutrient profiles and they have different potential consequences, good or bad. And the way that those consequences play out is always deeply involved in our human life scenario and situation. And so it will never be as simple as sugar is bad and kale is good you know, and this is clean and this is dirty. It is always, always, always within the context of how we're living. And when we think back to that term that I read to you from Michael Pollan's work, the French paradox, it's only a paradox because we're so rigid in our beliefs about what's healthy that we can't comprehend how play foods, foods that are slightly less nutritionally dense or that contain nutrients that we've researched are quote-unquote bad for us could be a part of a healthy lifestyle. Like it's only a paradox because of the ideology that we're currently buying into. If you're buying into an ideology where food isn't just fuel and it isn't just the purpose of it isn't just to, to, to make us healthier in one specific physical way, 
It's not a paradox at all. You know, it's not a paradox if you believe that food is inherently designed to be pleasurable and social and fun and that we actually, the research has shown that we actually absorb more nutrients from foods when we're relaxed and social and enjoying and comforted by the foods that we eat. That the French paradox doesn't exist in France because they buy into a different ideology and that the moment that we start to buy into a different ideology, we'll find that not only are we less confused around food, not only are we more tapped into our own body's desires and cravings and appetites and wants and needs and knows, but that we start to feel better that we start to actually absorb more nutrients from our food and use the energy from our food more effectively. And we can do all of that. We can do all of it without knowing how many calories are in it or how much saturated fat is in it or how much vitamin C or D or A is in it. That we can simply be in our bodies knowing a few basic truths about food, which are basically, you know, eat plants, try to get some fiber in, don't overdo it on the animal products or processed food. Like that's literally it. We have some basic truths about food and then we're in our human body and we're aware of our physical, emotional and mental needs and we're tapped in and we're conscious when we're eating and that is literally all we need to know to eat well. Mark David wrote a great book. It's called The Slow Down Diet, and it isn't a diet at all. But it it lays out the eight factors or the eight things that affect the way that we metabolize food. And I use it all the time in my work. It is, you know, a lot of the, the topics that are in his book we're exploring in the collective pleasure, awareness, relaxation. Um, And I love that he also gets into in this book story. So the stories we tell about food and the sacred, which is what I'm going to talk about next, this idea of morality and virtue and worth that we're trying to get from eating certain foods that can never actually be gotten from food. He explores all of that in his book, The Slow Down Diet. Um, And it's so great because quality of food is only one of the chapters in this sort of like eight factors that affect metabolism. It's only one. And that's not to say that it's not important. It is important. It just puts it in perspective that it's basically like when it comes to eating well and eating for a long, happy life, we focus on one thing. We're myopic and reductive and obsessed about this one specific thing. And in the pursuit of that one specific thing, we forget all the other things that are really important. And then when it gets hard to stay focused on that one specific thing, because it is hard when it gets confusing and challenging, you know, we think that we just need to focus harder on it. We need to get more focused. We need to know more. We keep pushing harder in this one area when really what we need to do is just put it back in perspective and be like, hey, if we want to, if we want to live a long, happy, healthy life, yeah, we want to eat some good foods, but there's also like 10 other things that we could be doing that will improve our, our health profile and our, and our um, possible mor- morbidity and mortality. The last thing that I wanted to talk about in the very confusing world of food and why the experts can't agree is that there are some very interesting lines of thinking that we are currently using food and thinness and weight control as a means of achieving virtue, purity, self-worth, and that we can see this growing in the absence of or the disintegration of reduction of people who are invested in organized religion. It's like we need somewhere to find virtue and purity and self-worth. And so what we're doing is we're applying it to food. And 
I'm not sure if this is so much about confusion or keeping the experts confused, but more that it keeps those of us who are eating in shame and that the experts can't really answer the questions around food when it comes to this because our what makes us feel worthy and virtuous and good enough is so different from person to person. And the way that we use food to find that virtue or that worth is going to be so highly individual. Like how could someone ever tell you? Our wellness culture tries to tell us there is there's a food, a moral code that's been developed around food, the clean eating movement, where it's not just about health anymore. It's like, you know, this is a good food, this is a bad food, and it translates into you're good if you eat this and you're bad if you don't. And all you have to do is look at the comment sections on on some of these discussions around healthy food to see how polarizing it is and how moralizing it is and how people are accused of being uneducated and stupid and not caring and not having integrity when they eat certain things like really highly polarizing. Um, A great example of this is Jillian Harris, who's quite a famous interior designer here in Canada, who was also on the reality show, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, um, became very famous in reality TV and then started a lifestyle blog and a very popular Instagram account and decided to start talking about the virtues of being vegan, but is someone who struggles to actually be 100% vegan. So she called herself vegan-ish. And it's like, it. this topic blew up. Like people went nuts over it. Like you, you can't be vegan-ish. You are or you aren't. Like you either are with us or you're not with us. And then not only that, but as she's tried to delve into healthier eating and more sustainable eating practices, and she's just a really like chill, basic gal, you know, trying to do well by the planet, trying to do well by her body and her kid, um, exploring these different ideas, trying to write in pencil around it. And every single time she posts something, I'm like, like, I just, I can feel what's coming already. You know, she did a post for Kellogg's. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to go down well. And she did a post for Basel and people went nuts. And it's like, because we buy so hard into, you know, not only what's healthy for us and not healthy for us, but food represents morality for us. It represents ideologies and, and, and what were our belief systems about life and it makes it very, very difficult for, you know, it's easy for me to use her as an example, but for someone like Jillian Harris to try to write in pencil and figure out how she wants to eat and what feels good for her on her terms, what feels like integrity for her, it's so difficult because it will never and can never match what feels like integrity for all of the other people that are out there tuning in and listening. And for those of us who are watching, it's like, whoa, this is very tricky and something as basic as just trying to feed ourselves well and feel good through the day becomes something that's so complex and challenging and stressful and difficult. I'm not sure if I exactly have the answer for this one, but I'm just going to talk about something that I talked about in the collective this week and I'm going to get a little woo-woo on you, so just stick with me here. Because I think that this Um, the idea of intuitive eating really lends itself to this. Um, but we need to understand first what that really is, like what intuitive eating really is and what it's predicated upon. And for me, in order to really eat intuitively, we need to know who we are. We need to be able to hear our own inner authentic voice. And my belief is that we have two voices that we actively sort of hear in our heads or bodies at any given time. And the first is the ego personality voice. That's the, that's the piece of us that's experiencing the physical world. That's engaging in the dramas and the confusion and the complexities and the distractions that feels like we need to figure out our worth 
and you know, it's just always embroiled in the chaos and complexity of the human experience. And it's supposed to be. That's what, you know, that's what the ego and the personality do. And there are some pros to that. Um, there's definitely a necessity for it. When it becomes hard is when it becomes detached from our soul, which is that positive, purposeful force that lives within us. And I'm not getting religious on you here or dogmatic. I'm just, I have the belief that we have a positive purposeful energy that lives within us that is infinite and all-knowing and it has a purpose here on earth and that's what we are here as individuals to do is to help that soul fulfill the purpose before it moves on um, to another body or another being and the intuition is like the connection between those two things. It connects our personality or ego with our soul. It keeps the personality and ego in check. It keeps it, you know, contributing and growing and expanding. And the problem is that there that with, you know, my belief is that with the lack of organized religion or the disintegration of our belief in organized religion that we've disconnected the personality and the soul. We don't know. We had a means for it, but there was all this other crap rolled up in it that we just couldn't buy into. And so we disconnected from that type of faith or that type of belief. And in doing so, we've disconnected from our ability to connect our ego or personality with our soul's bigger purpose. And so we're just constantly in, you know, in the drama and the complexity and confusion and chaos of the ego personality, which is like, you know, compare and despair and competition and how do I earn my worth and where's my value and I've got to have things to be valuable and I have to, you know, have awards and check things off, you know, check check boxes and to-do lists and have more money and more things in order to be a value. And what the intuition is, is the connection point. The intuition is that voice that that doesn't scream in our ear, but lives deep in our gut or in our heart and speaks to us, you know, in a calm, sure, cool way. It connects us to that, that deep soul piece of us. And yeah, you know, (laughs) it has a really big job, but when it comes to food, it can really, when we tap into that intuition, it connects us to the foods that are that feed our true, authentic inner selves. It can take the information that our ego and personality absorbs from this crazy, kooky culture that we live in. And it can say, yeah, that's right. No, that's not right. Yes, this, you know, yes, this is good for you. No, this isn't. It, and, and it can allow for those things to change. It can allow for a certain amount of sugar to be okay for you in one moment and then to realize that in another moment, it's not serving you anymore. It's flexible. It's deeply attuned to all of the circumstances that are happening for you. And again, yeah, it has a much bigger job overall in terms of our, our place on earth and our purpose. But for me... In order to be able to really hear that voice and listen to it and to eliminate the confusion that the ego personality feels, the reason that our ego personality is constantly looking to the experts for answers, we can eliminate it by tuning into our intuition because it knows our most authentic self. And each of our authentic selves is incredibly different from other authentic selves. And it's another reason that I think that expert information just misses us, that it doesn't always land because that expert is always relaying this information from their own experience, their own inner selves, especially when those experts are experts like people who've written nutritional books and they found a way of eating that could like solve all your problems But it's like, you know, even if they're operating from their highest selves, even if they are tuned into their soul's purpose on earth, the fact of the matter is that their soul's purpose on earth and their authentic self is not the same as yours. And so sure, Mark Sisson or Rob Wolf or whatever may have found that the paleo diet is the thing, but that information is just true for them. And the way that they translate that information and the way that they use that information is only going to ever be fully 100% true for them. It may resonate with other 
with other individuals whose souls are similar, but it will never translate to all the people. And so, yeah, you know, someone could have found an answer, an answer that solved so many of their problems, but that doesn't mean it's going to translate to solve the problems of everyone on earth because we have different ego personalities and we have different souls with different purposes. And the only way that we can figure out the right way to eat is to actually stop listening to the external experts and start tuning into the expert within the expert that is in your body that knows all of the mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, you know, every aspect of your life and not only the life that you're living, but the purpose or the way that you're going or what will fulfill your highest good. And so that's, I mean, to me, it's a little woo woo, but I feel like it does explain why, yes, we have faulty ideologies that are giving us information that we don't find that helpful. And we have faulty ideologies that want to make us believe that there's one right way to eat that will help us live forever. And we have faulty ideologies that classify foods as all good or all bad. But at the heart of it, you know, we could handle being within all of this information if we were deeply tapped into our own authentic selves, our own authentic selves that that has to stand on our own two feet and say, hey, guess what? I can eat sugar and I'm okay. Or I can eat French fries and I'm okay. Or I do prefer to be vegetarian and I'm okay. Or I do prefer to eat red meat and I'm okay. You know, we have to be in integrity with ourselves. And not only will we absorb more nutrients (laughs) and have lower stress levels and less stress hormone, Um, but it's going to be easy to eat this way. It's going to be sustainable and it's going to be pleasurable. It's going to make sense to us. And isn't that what this whole ride is all about anyway? All right. I hope that was helpful. Um, sometimes I can't tell, you know, I get on here and I start talk, talk, talking, and there's a million things going through my brain and I want to give you as much as I possibly can. And the one thing I don't want to be is another quote unquote expert confusing the situation for you. I posted a quote on Instagram the other day that said that the best teachers will always turn you back to yourself. And I really feel like that is what my role is here is to turn you back to yourself and your own inner knowing and understanding that you can trust it. And sometimes in order to get that or to understand it, we have to pull apart the other constructs that are in place that make us believe that we don't know what's best for ourselves, that we need the experts to tell us who we are and what we should be eating and how we should be behaving. And so again, I hope I haven't confused the situation. I hope you're getting something out of it. If you are, take a picture of yourself listening to the podcast, tag me, let me know what you got out of it or conversely, how I could make it better. Um, Yeah, that's it. Until next week, have the most amazing week. Enjoy your food, enjoy your body, enjoy life. um, And I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you.